Audio Epics presents The Treasure of Boneyard Bay, a witch hunter tale. Written and performed by Domine de Groot and Eileen Hoskins. Composed by Peter van Riet. Music score by Ivan Dutch, Peter van Riet, and Dane Russell Leonardson. Sound mixing and post production by Domine de Groot. Special thanks to the following Patreon supporters. Caitlin Bredenkamp. Ryan Stock. Peter Strandkrone. Arno Teva. Matt Patain. Osarian. Mix and Match. Kat Mosseri. Joseph Stowell. And Amy and Dallas Austin. Flatlander. The door opened and Gustav was once more pushed into a new room. It was a luxurious place of ornately carved dark wood, silk curtains and leather-bound tomes. A modest fire illuminated a single figure sitting at a massive desk in front of a large stained glass window. Are you done manhandling me now? Gustav said to one of the guards flanking him. But of course he didn't answer. Turning his attention to the person behind the desk, Gustav could see it was a tall, broad-shouldered man who seemed to be too busy writing something down with a quill to take notice of him or the guards. You may leave us, guards, the man said eventually in a deep authoritative voice. The two men immediately turned and left the room, leaving Gustav feeling somewhat forlorn. As much as he had despised being dragged out of his shop and into the witch hunter headquarters, like some heinous criminal or sorcerer, he suddenly felt even less happy about being alone with this mysterious figure. The man looked up from his writings. He seemed to be in his early fifties, with streaks of silver in his black hair, which was combed straight back. He had a high forehead, showing a deep frown permanently etched above his long, straight nose. An intense, inscrutable gaze greeted the shopkeeper from deep, dark eyes. I do apologize if the guards were a bit rough with you, the man said. I assure you, 
They do not represent our order. Um, Master Lord uh, Witch Hunter, sir, am I under arrest or something? Because I swear, I, I, I didn't do it, whatever it is, Gustav said in a smaller voice than he had intended. When the man remained silent, Gustav felt a rising urge to prattle. He tried to suppress it, but didn't last longer than a second. The one time I dabbled in dark magic, it, it was just a trick to impress a tavern wench. And, and, and it was just stage magic, so I, I really don't think it counts. And, and all those bizarre and curious amulets and charms and implements and orbs and wands and robes and magic items in my shop, they're just for show. They don't really do anything, except for the, maybe that marble that can store lightning. But <laughs> come on, how could I not hold on to that? I'm still a merchant, after all, and I, I have to... You are not under arrest, but you should stop talking now, if you would like to keep it that way, the man said simply, and then gestured towards a chair in front of his desk. Please, have a seat, Mr. Finsterdunkel. Who are you then, sir? Gustav asked as he carefully sat down, still shaking a bit. Are you the big witch hunter head boss? The tall man laid down his quill and sat back in his lavish armchair. Avoiding his host's intense gaze, Gustav's eyes wandered towards a book that lay open on the desk. The man quickly closed it and put it away in a drawer. I am Lord Adomir of the Witch Hunter Order. I am not the Grand General, but she does heed my advice. Gustav decided to remain silent, realizing that there were certain situations, however rare, when talking his way out was not an option. And you are Gustav Finsterdunkel, owner of Gustav Finsterdunkel's wondrous emporium of occult devices and sundry artifacts of the bazaar. At first, Gustav was rather proud that Lord Adomir had memorized the name of his shop, but then he realized how it must sound to a witch hunter. It's just a little curiosity shop, I mean, occult is just a word, isn't it? Lord Adomir ignored him. It seems your inventory has something of a reputation, and you yourself are often quite vocal about the nature of the items you sell. Gustav could only smile sheepishly. If this wasn't an arrest, it certainly felt like it was leading up to one. There is one item in particular that sparks my interest, the witch hunter lord continued. Just say the word, sir, and it's gone. I don't want anything unseemly in my shop. Adomir leaned forward and looked Gustav in the eye. An exotic metal statuette. The one you bragged about in public if you remember. Of course, Gustav did remember. Only a few weeks ago, he had openly declared that he possessed the key to the fabled treasure of Boneyard Bay, in front of the mayor and a hundred citizens of Seven Peaks. Then it dawned on him. You want to go look for the treasure? He said in a low voice, and then added, Why? Adomir sat back again, and looked at the shopkeeper appraisingly. Surely you are aware that Seven Peaks is ailing. After the plague, many families found themselves struggling for basic necessities, such as food and water. Our economy almost collapsed. We are slowly rebuilding, but we desperately need the means to restore our city to its former greatness. Gustav knew well enough what Lord Adomir was talking about, having suffered through the hard times himself. The treasure of Boneyard Bay, if it is indeed real, would be an immeasurable help in these dire times, as you yourself have pointed out, Adomir concluded. Gustav could kick himself. He had indeed loudly proclaimed the value of the treasure on the Grand Market when the mayor had held his speech on rebuilding the glory of Seven Peaks. And he had indeed boasted about owning the statuette that was probably the key. He had simply never expected that to be the first time for anyone in Evanendale to take him seriously. First, I need to know for certain if there is indeed any truth to these claims of yours, Adomir said. Gustav clutched the armrests of his chair. Any truth, sir? Are you suggesting that I am less than truthful in any way? I will have you know that I won the award for most trustworthy man of flatland back home, 
and that three out of four historians agree that my autobiography should be required reading material, and that the king of the Dugarim himself once entrusted me with his personal sword. The Dugarim don't carry weapons. They are entirely peaceful, Adomir pointed out. Yes, well, <laughs> that's what they want you to think, Gustav muttered under his breath. Where is the statuette? Gustav narrowed his eyes, suddenly feeling very unsure about the entire witch hunter order. It's hidden in a place where you will never find it, he said obstinately. Oh, I believe that. If the rumors of that pigsty of a shop of yours are to be believed, Adomir commented. I never said it was in my shop, Gustav retorted with a devious grin. The witch hunter lord sighed and drummed his fingers on his desk. What do you really know about the statuette? Where did you find it? Where did it come from? Suddenly, feeling a lot more confident, Gustav sat upright in his chair and gave Adomir his most charming smile. First, I would like to ask you some questions, sir, if I may. Adomir sighed impatiently, but granted his approval with a dismissive wave. Who wants to know? Gustav asked. The Grand General, Lady Hoskiv of the Witch Hunter Order, commissioned by the Mayor. Gustav nodded. That sounds reasonable. My second question. Why should I share my treasure with you? Adomir raised an eyebrow at that. Aren't you a dutiful citizen of Seven Peaks? Or are you still just a self-interested flatlander at heart? Gustav had to think about that for a moment. Even though he hadn't been in his homeland for a long time, he felt a bit insulted by Lord Adomir's remark. He knew more than a few generous flatlanders. Even if you lack the intrinsic motivation to help, there are other reasons, the witch hunter said. We know you've been looking for the treasure for years and haven't found it. We have the resources to finally reach that goal of yours. Gustav had to think some more. He absent-mindedly picked up a letter opener from Adomir's desk and started fidgeting with it. The witch hunter lord regarded him with a dark frown. What's in it for me if I help you find it? Gustav asked, sitting back in his chair. He knew he had no other choice than to help the witch hunters, but he wanted to at least give the impression he was holding all the cards here. Unfortunately, Lord Adomir saw right through him. Don't be a fool. You would never find it on your own. But if you are afraid of returning home empty-handed, have no fear. If we do find it, all those who have played their part will have their share of the treasure. Gustav returned the letter opener to Adomir's desk. I'm really only after one item in all of the treasure, he admitted at last. As long as I get to keep that, I will be happy. He felt a bit strange as Adomir looked at him with a mixture of suspicion, curiosity and the beginnings of a grudging respect. What item? Is it large? Exceedingly valuable? Gustav shook his head. It's very small, and it would be of comparatively little value to most. A trinket, really. I will say no more. He felt very small under Adomir's stern gaze, but he held his ground as best he could. To Gustav's surprise, the faintest hint of a smile suddenly appeared on the witch hunter's face. It is settled, then, he said calmly in his deep voice. You will provide the statuette and guide a carefully selected small task force as they seek for the treasure. In the unlikely event that this fabled hoard is indeed found, you will receive your fair share, including this mysterious item of yours. Gustav frowned. So, if I understand correctly, the mayor is sending witch hunters on this quest? Indeed. Puzzled, Gustav scratched the stubble on his chin. But aren't witch hunters supposed to, you know, hunt witches? <sighs> Lord Adomir let out a weary sigh. 
I had my reservations too at first, but Lady Hoskiv convinced me. Our order has more to offer than what we are known for. This quest is vital to Seven Peaks and will require many of the skills of a witch hunter, from tracking to combat. Gustav didn't like the sound of that last word, but he kept silent. Now, Mr. Finsterdunkel, Adomir said as he leaned forward again, I would still like to know how you came by the statuette. Where did it come from? Gustav shrugged. Where it came from? Goddess knows. But I can tell you where I bought it. <laughs> you bought it? How do you even know it's real? Excuse me, Mr. Adomir, sir, but I'm not some idle collector of trinkets. I am Gustav Finsterdunkel, adventurer extraordinaire and proprietor of the wondrous emporium of occult devices and sundry artifacts of the bazaar. I have more than enough experience with this sort of thing. Trust me, this is the item, and it is the key. All we need is the location of where to insert it. That will not be a problem, Adomir said. I already know where to look. It took a few moments before Gustav realized he had been staring at the Witch Hunter Lord with his mouth open for a while. How? was all he could utter. Countless pirates, adventurers and explorers had been looking for centuries for the location of the treasure. All they had discovered was that the journey started from Boneyard Bay. All you need to know for now is that we have a heading, and with your statuette we will have the key as well, if it is indeed real. Are you still in doubt about that? Gustav exclaimed in exasperation. Look, I know this particular merchant who sold it to me has deceived me several times in the past, but that's precisely the reason why I was on my guard this time, and I know for certain that this is the real key. He could see in Adomir's eyes that his words sounded less convincing than he had hoped. The fool thought it was just a piece of decoration like all the previous ones he had sold me, but he didn't know what I knew at that point, having researched the treasure for years. The real statuette has a base in the shape of a five-pointed star and sapphires for eyes. The sapphires made it a bit more expensive than usual, but they confirmed it to me. This is the one. He laughed as he remembered buying it. I haggled down the price and told him it was to be a birthday present for my niece. And he fell for it. Adomir remained every bit as serious as always and stroked his beard thoughtfully. Very well. I will trust your word. You will be our guide and the statuette will remain in your care until we reach the location. If it proves false, the price for this entire expedition will be yours to pay, Flatlander. Gustav suddenly lost all of his bluster and swallowed hard. He sat there, smiling uneasily, until eventually the sense of excitement for another adventure took over. This was to be an endeavor sponsored by the Witch Hunter Order, and despite their intimidating disposition, Gustav was already looking forward to the advantage of their resources. The Initiate The stone courtyard remained hidden in cool shadow, but the sky was already brightening beyond the high walls of the Witch Hunter headquarters. It would be a hot day today especially for the last moon of spring. Ludlove was wholly unconcerned about the weather, engrossed as he was in the practice of his dagger. Unlike the rapier, the crossbow and the pistol, the dagger was not a weapon he took to by nature, and so he forced himself to spend each morning repeating the thrust, twist and pull of a sneak attack. The attack sequence itself was not Ludlove's biggest challenge, however. His greatest difficulty consisted of the art of drawing a concealed dagger before an opponent had the chance to realize he was carrying one. It was a feat of dexterity, almost like a magic trick. To practice it, Ludlov also forced himself to make the draw a part of each attack sequence as he practiced. Every morning, he would hide a dagger in a different location. A breast pocket, a belt, even a boot. Every morning, 
He would slide it out in a swift and subtle movement and complete the thrust, twist and pull, again and again. He was so deep into his exercise, his mind blissfully blank in the flow of the action, that he hadn't noticed the Grand General, who was standing just a few paces beyond the wooden practice dummy he had been assassinating on repeat for half an hour. His heart jumped when he heard her stern voice address him. Your technique is improving, Initiate. He stopped and bowed to her respectfully, still breathing hard. My lady Hoskeva, he said in greeting. I think you have mastered the dagger now. Don't forget, you can use the same technique to snatch small items from opponents, such as charms, wounds and the like. That made sense to Ludlow. He slid the dagger back onto his belt as the lady produced something from underneath her cloak that made a soft clinking sound. It was a cord of silver prayer beads. Try and retrieve this from me, she said. Ludlow didn't hesitate and walked over to her slowly. Then, with the sudden speed of a viper, he stretched out his hand, took hold of the prayer beads, twisted and pulled, only to feel his hand squeezed tight by the beads wrapped around it. He looked up into Lady Hoskiv's cool grey eyes. It's not just a matter of applying technique, Ludlov. You know this. Be aware of your opponent's state of mind at all times. I saw you coming for them. Ludlov relaxed his hand as the Grand General took back the beads. He felt a bit silly. When it comes to technique, you have made an impression on all of us, Ludlov. I saw you at work with a pistol yesterday. I wouldn't want to be a sorcerer on the run from you. Ludlov straightened his back. He was only slightly taller than the Grand General, but in her witch hunter hat she seemed the taller of the two. Are you here to inform me about my final evaluation, my lady? A rare smile appeared on the lady's lips. Not yet, Initiate. I admire your ambition, but it will take much more to rise to the rank of witch hunter. There is no need to be impatient. Ludlow swallowed. He was hardly impatient. At 36, he was already far older than most initiates, having turned to this path only after his previous life had fallen apart a year before. Fear not. The day will come when you will wear the witch hunter hat. Lady Hoskiv added somewhat more gently. May I be ready to fight and die for my city when that day comes. Ludlov added, feeling an unexpected intensity surging inside of him. A strange blend of excitement, hope and fiery hatred. On that day, you will be. I assure you, Initiate, said the Grand General, as she gestured for him to walk with her through the courtyard. As for the purpose of my visit, you are indeed to be tested, and we will be watching you closely. An assignment, my lady? Ludlow asked, feeling hopeful. He was more than ready to confront the darkness in the world and punish each and every servant of evil for the murder of his wife. Indeed, Initiate. You are about to embark upon a quest along with two other initiates, two witch-hunters and one master witch-hunter. Six of us? That's a rather large group. You and your peers will be there to aid and support your superiors, and in turn your performances will be evaluated by them. She explained. Ludlov imagined six witch-hunters with drawn weapons and torches slowly making their way into the lair of some hideous beast or vile necromancer. Have you ever heard of the treasure of Boneyard Bay? The Grand General asked. The name seemed vaguely familiar, but that was all Ludlove could muster. A treasure hunt? My lady, don't we have other things to do? The Black Sickle is still out there. Lady Hoskiv stopped walking and laid a hand on Ludlove's shoulder. Listen to me carefully, Initiate. You are the most promising student I have seen here in years. But you must remember, you are not training for revenge. I know what drives you, and I encourage your zeal. But I hope you will be truthful when at last you recite the witch hunter's oath. Once you have made the rank, your life will belong to the goddess and to Seven Peaks. You will exist to serve your people. Our order is a sacred weapon, 
not a tool for you to reach your own goals, however noble and just they may be. Ludlov swallowed, looking down. He knew she was right. From the depths of my heart, I hope we will stop the black sickle one day, Ludlov. And if you can help us with that, you are very welcome to it. But that is not why the Witch Hunter Order exists. Our goal is the glory of Seven Peaks, for the further glory of our goddess. Ludlov nodded demurely. I understand, and I assure you, whatever task you set before me, I will complete it with diligence and devotion, my lady, he said sincerely. Good, she answered, and continued to walk again. Still, I do wonder what exactly we will be facing, Ludlov said, as they passed from the courtyard into a cool, gloomy corridor inside the main building. Tall, gold-framed portraits of former Grand Generals lined the walls beside them. I don't know, Lady Hoskiv admitted. There is a good chance you will not be seeing any combat, but it will still be a long and arduous journey, and you will need your wits to find a way. If we won't be facing any vampires or witches, why is the Witch Hunter Order involved? Ludlow ventured to ask. He couldn't hide his disappointment having longed to look a cultist or devil-worshipper in the eye as he ended his life. We were commissioned by the mayor, Initiate. The quest for this treasure is of grave importance to the whole of Seven Peaks. You should embrace any opportunity to help your people. Again, Ludlow felt in his heart that she was right, but he couldn't ignore the cold fire of his desire for vengeance within. They mounted a wide wooden staircase. Facing a splendid stained-glass window, depicting Sancta Gwendala as she held her sword aloft. Lady Hoskiv regarded it for a moment. I know your mind is on the black sickle, Ludlov. I do not condemn your thirst for revenge. She gestured towards the image. When she faced off, I know she was driven by the same righteous anger you feel. She held still at the window, prompting Ludlov to do the same. Justice, retribution, even vengeance. These are worthy goals. Obsession, however, is a grave stumbling block. There have been many in this order who have fallen prey to it, you know. It never ends well. Ludlov had heard this many times before, and as usual, he calmly accepted the admonishment, inwardly still burning with the desire to punish. Lord Adame thought it would be a waste of your potential to send you on this quest, you know, the Grand General said. Ludlov was surprised by her candor and remained silent. It was I who reminded him you were still an initiate, and that this quest would do you good. You need to get your nose out of the books and your legs out of these headquarters. You've become a bit of a loner, I've heard, she continued, eyeing him curiously. Ludlov couldn't deny it. He hadn't exactly sought out any friendships during his entire training, but that was mostly due to his age and his background. He simply didn't feel like one of the other initiates. I have greatly benefited from the kindness and support of Lord Adomir and yourself, lady, he offered. I know, but we will not be out in the field with you. You need to learn to rely on others. Only masters have the luxury of living the life of a lone wolf. You are still a long way from that, Anishit. Ludlov felt something in his gut twist in aversion. The idea of working in a team with a pair of young whelps irked him. He was no schoolboy. He had been a magistrate. When he met Lady Hoskiv's gaze, he could see that she was aware of his feelings. I will do my duty, my lady, he said. Good, she replied. The briefing will be in the courtyard tomorrow, after breakfast. The briefing. The next morning, Ludlov was in the courtyard before dawn once more, practicing until the tower bell rang for breakfast. There was a quiet tension in the mess hall and Ludlov overheard very little conversation during breakfast. He sat alone at the edge of a long table, as usual, 
enjoying his fried fish and scrambled eggs silently, when suddenly a shadow fell over his plate. Looking up, he saw a pudgy, unshaven man with a shock of wild, graying hair and a broad smile on his rough face. His clothes might once have been considered high quality, but they looked worn and discolored. This was definitely not a witch hunter. Rudlov nodded a greeting and returned to his food. His visitor sat down and just remained there in silence until it became impossible for Ludlow to ignore him. Looking up again, he saw the man was still smiling like he had just heard a dirty joke and was looking to share it with someone. So, you're a witch hunter, he said loudly, breaking the quiet atmosphere. The stranger sounded to Ludlow as if he suffered from some kind of speech impediment. Not yet, Ludlow replied with a smile. Oh, I see! You're one of the trainees, then! Now Ludlov noticed that it wasn't a speech impediment, but a foreign accent. He couldn't quite place it yet, though. We are called initiates, Ludlov said. Oh, an initiate, then! But aren't you a little bit old to still be in witch hunter school? Perhaps, but here I am. Ludlov tried to enjoy the last remnants of his food, but the mere presence of the man was beginning to make him nervous. My name is Gustav Finsterdunkel, he said, extending his hand. Out of sheer politeness, Ludlov shook it. Ludlov. I know. When I came in, I asked who would be joining us on our journey, and they said, try Ludlov. And I asked, who is Ludlov? And they said, you'll find him in the mess. He always sits alone. And so I thought you had to be Ludlov. Flatland. That was it, Ludlov thought. This was a flatlander. Perhaps a sailor of some sort. So you will be joining us on our quest, Ludlov said, not quite sure what to make of that. Why is that exactly, Mr. Finsterdunkel? Oh, please, call me Gustav. Well, I just know a lot about the treasure. I'll be a guide, so to speak. Ludlov took another look at the man. His clothes were worn, but they looked like they had once been fairly high standard. His unkempt appearance made it clear this was a loner, like himself, but not one whose life was dictated by discipline and routine. He had the look of an amateur historian, one who spent most of his time with books and maps. I see. Well met in any case, Gustav. Can I ask you something? The Flatlander nodded enthusiastically. Do you think the gold might be cursed? Ludlov had been thinking about that possibility in his bed the previous night, and it had begun to trouble him somewhat. Gustav shrugged. Who knows? They say that about almost all treasures. In my experience, it's only about eh, half of them that are cursed. Maybe a little less. That still leaves us with a reasonable chance. Witch hunters can fight evil, but we can't lift curses, Ludlov said, still unconvinced that this treasure hunt was a suitable task for the witch hunter order. I think that might be why she's involved. Gustav said, nodding to another table where a white-robed woman was sitting with the witch-hunter masters. That priestess is coming along as well? Ludlov asked, inviting a firm nod from Gustav. It was a sensible idea, he realized. So you already know our list of companions? Not really, Gustav admitted. Just you and she. Besides that, and the fact that we'll be headed for Boneyard Bay, I know about as much as you do, I think. Nothing then. Just then, the bell rang, indicating that breakfast was over. Most witch hunters went about their daily routines, but a select number made their way to the courtyard, including Ludlov and Gustav. Master von Baumeister was among those who went with them, as well as a young Goldorian woman Ludlov recognized from several occasions, although he had never learned her name. The priestess and another male witch hunter followed closely behind. Two of Ludlov's fellow initiates, Federhel and Alvarado, completed the group. All were silent. Once outside, Ludlov saw a familiar figure already standing on the wooden platform that had been constructed at the edge of the courtyard. Mayor Schmidt was an imposing man, even taller than Lord Adomir, and unusually gruff in his appearance, especially for a politician. He had the ruddy, weathered skin of a farmer, and a deep scar ran across his face, 
from one cheek to the other across the bridge of his broken nose. His hair was short and grey. Schmidt was one of the few politicians Ludlow could respect. A man who had fought and suffered like the rest of Seven Peaks, not some pampered nobleman. Not everyone liked Mayor Schmidt, though. He was a man who could make very difficult decisions quickly without looking back and who truly had the best interests of the city at heart. But he had very little patience with complicated nuances of any kind. He was the perfect example of a good wartime leader, and while the plague and the ensuing economic troubles hadn't been a military conflict, it had certainly felt like wartime to the inhabitants of Seven Peaks. As soon as the mayor started speaking, more and more people gradually seeped into the courtyard, curious about all the activity there. Good morning, witch hunters, Schmidt said. Everyone in the courtyard stood perfectly straight, listening to the mayor's address. Everyone, except one nervously fidgeting flatlander, that was. I know the quest on which you are about to embark is not the usual sort of activity in which the witch hunter order engages. Some of you may have doubts. The mayor's small, cunning eyes scanned the crowd, as if he was looking to pick out any doubters and remove them from the companions. I ask you to set aside those doubts. This is not an idle endeavour to satisfy the curiosity of the historians, or fill the museums of Seven Peaks with trinkets. Nor is it the greed of a few wealthy noblemen that drives this quest, I assure you. He paused, taking a deep breath. The treasure of Boneyard Bay must be found and brought here by you. I will speak plainly to you. If you fail, the King of Parslovena promised us he will end the age-old trade agreement and replace it with a new one which will be disastrous for our already struggling economy. I will have no other choice than to accept it. More than that, our weakness will be seen by our neighbours and word of our state will spread. Eventually our enemies will come to us in our darkest times, drawn to us like predators to a wounded animal. Your task, witch hunters, is nothing less than to save Seven Peaks from collapse. I pray the blessings of the goddess will go with you." The mayor's words had hit Ludlow harder than he had expected. He had no idea the situation was as dire as that. Gustav made a silly, mock-worried face, comically widening his eyes and pulling down the corners of his mouth. It annoyed Ludlow somewhat. Why was this amateur historian here if he couldn't take the situation seriously? After the mayor had stepped down, Lord Adomir ascended onto the platform, with Master von Baumeister beside him. The two men were an imposing sight, both of them tall, stern witch-hunters, one broad-shouldered, dark and refined, the other wiry and pale, with small, accusing eyes and a tight grey ponytail. Ludlow didn't know von Baumeister very well, even though he had often seen his mentor talking to him. Adomir addressed the witch-hunters in the courtyard. Master von Baumeister will be your leader on this journey. Those of you who have had the pleasure of working with him or studying under him know of his strength, dedication and willpower. Those who haven't will learn soon enough. Master von Baumeister was chosen for this task because he is not one who suffers fools lightly. We will need all of your wits all of your training, and all of your heart on this journey. Besides leadership, he is also here to evaluate three of you. Initiates Ludlow, Alvarado, and Federhel, Master von Baumeister will be keeping a close eye on you. Your performance during this quest will be reported back to us. Ludlow looked at the other two initiates. Federhel was a gentle-looking young man, with thoughtful blue eyes and light brown shoulder-length hair. He had always seemed a bit soft for a future witch-hunter to Ludlow, but he did admire his intellect. Alvarado was almost the polar opposite in appearance, a handsome, powerfully built type with long, dark, oiled hair and a tanned skin. Hailing from Esclavia, he had a very different temperament from most others. Ludlow never talked much to him, but he had taken notice of Alvarado's joyful simplicity and loyalty, and quietly approved. Two other witch-hunters will join, Adomir continued. Turmgard is an experienced traveller and has seen his share of combat. Initiates would do well to follow his example. Chappelle has only worn the hat for a year, 
but she has a quick and agile mind and an unwavering faith in our mission. We are proud to send her on her first great task for the Witch Hunter Order. The two Witch Hunters were standing in front of Ludlow, so he couldn't see their faces, but he assumed Chappelle was the Goldorian woman he had noticed before. Her beautiful golden hair was quite remarkable, and reminded him a lot of Maria. Turmgard had to be the stocky, red-haired man beside her. Besides the initiates and members of our order, you will have two guests. Blessed Ulla Zelenheim of the Vox Dei will join you. She is a holy woman, and her prayers and blessings will surely aid you on your journey. The priestess bowed her head respectfully. Mr. Gustav Finsterdunkel is a shopkeeper who is in possession of an item that may be the key to this operation. He also claims to have some knowledge about the legends surrounding the treasure. A shopkeeper? Ludlow scowled at Gustav, who responded with a sheepish grin. Adomir paused for a moment, allowing the travelling companions to take a look at each other for a bit. Ludlow saw some nervous faces, but most looked determined and implacable. Alvarado had a kind smile on his face, as if he wanted to reassure everyone. Then Adomir spoke again. You will travel the old road through the western wilds until you reach Lioncrest, where you will board a sail barge that is expecting you. This vessel will take you along the river Landsader to the city of Bruchhaven. There you will meet with Captain Brokelhoff, who will take you to Boneyard Bay on his ship the Theresia. Once you have reached your destination, you will have to use your own wits to find the way to this fabled treasure. Adomir paused again for dramatic effect. We do not know how long this journey will take, nor how dangerous it will be. We can only hope and pray that you will succeed and make it back before the end of the year, which is when the King of Parslavena will withdraw from our current trade agreement if we cannot provide the necessary evidence of our continuing prosperity. Seven Peaks' current state is a disgrace to the memory of our founders and saints. Saint Wolfen the Great will not let our city come to ruin while there are still souls brave enough to fight for her. So go, sail, learn, seek and fight for Seven Peaks, for Evanendale, for Sancta Gwendala and for Wolfen himself! A spontaneous roar of cheers erupted in the courtyard and Ludlow felt his heart swell with hope and pride. This was a worthy mission after all. The Forest The setting sun had finally hidden itself beyond the trees ahead, turning the forest into an impenetrably gloomy mass of bark, leaves and branches. The sky above was slowly changing from a soft purple to a dark blue. Eight riders quietly made their way along the dusty road, riding two by two. Von Baumeister and Turmgard made up the vanguard, followed by the priestess and chapelle. Then there was Federhel and Gustav, and finally Ludlow and Alvarado. It felt to Ludlow as if they had been travelling through these woods for weeks, although in truth it could only have been a few days. They had only just started riding again after a brief respite and a modest supper of bread and cheese. They would now continue to ride for as long as they could, even as night was falling. A few birds were still singing their serenades, but most had gone quiet, leaving only the sounds of the trees themselves and the occasional cry of some animal far away. Ludlow had heard many stories about the western wilds. It was rumoured to be an abode of witches, werewolves and warlocks, and now that he was here, he could believe the stories. It was an intimidating place, vast, mysterious and far removed from the civilised world. Still, he knew there were some villages in these woods, even up north far from the old road, which was the only part of the western wilds that saw regular traffic. The sound of a wolf howling in the distance startled him a bit. 
Pay no heed, said Alvarado. We have nothing to fear from wolves. And besides, those sounds are coming from much deeper in the woods. Ludlov had spent most of the day riding besides Gustav and was happy to have another conversation partner beside him on this last stretch of the day. Do you ever worry about anything, Alvarado? He asked. Oh, there are many things that cause me anxiety in this world, the Esclavian replied. Demons, sorcerers, poorly prepared food, but not wolves. <laughs> Ludlov chuckled, more out of politeness than genuine amusement. How do you feel about returning to your homeland? He asked. Well, we are headed for Boneyard Bay, Alvarado said, on the west coast of Esclavia. I hail from the east coast, and I have never even visited that place. But still, it is my homeland, and it will be good to hear my language again, eat the food I ate as a child. Hmm, now I'm getting hungry. The tales of the treasure probably weren't as popular on your side of the country then, Ludlow said. On the contrary, the treasure of Boneyard Bay is a popular legend in all of Esclavia. I still find it hard to believe we are actually pursuing it now. I know next to nothing about it, Ludlow admitted. Is it a pirate horde? Alvarado shook his head. Oh no, its history goes very far back and involves many different people and places. I would be useless at explaining it though. I only know bits and pieces, but it involves the gypsy peoples. The gypsies? Ludlov repeated in astonishment. As far as he knew, neither the Sintra nor the Ungra tribe had a very great presence in Esclavia. It's true, but if you really want to understand it, you should ask Federhel or maybe Master von Baumeister, Alvarado said. You have studied under von Baumeister, haven't you? Ludlov recalled. Si, amigo. That I have. Forensic investigation. A rather tedious and demanding subject, but he made it come alive, that I must admit. What do you think of him? Ludlov asked. Alvarado shrugged. He is a hard man, a hard teacher. He demands perfection of himself and of others. He will be difficult to please. However, I've always known him to be fair. That was satisfying enough to Ludlov. The stars were shining above their heads when they held still at a small clearing and made camp. Gustav almost fell from his horse with the ridiculously oversized backpack he was wearing. There had been some merriment and quite a few questions about the size of that pack throughout the journey, but Gustav maintained that everything he carried was essential. The witch hunters and initiates travelled much lighter, each carrying a small pack or satchel with them. Ludlov had packed some personal belongings, such as his sketchbook and journal, along with his usual weapons and gear. Like the other initiates, he kept his rapier, dagger and pistol on his belt. The witch hunters carried the same weapons, but they were armed with a set of five daggers instead of just one. Rumour had it that Chapelle was naturally very skilled with such weapons. He would be watching her closely to see what he could learn. Turmgard, who was saddled with the second largest backpack, seemed to be carrying von Baumeister's belongings as well as his own. As they were preparing the fire, Master von Baumeister addressed the entire company. If all goes well, we will reach Engebrucker tomorrow, he said. That will mark the end of the Western Wilds. From there, we will make our way to the river Lanzada. He turned to the priestess. Blessed, if you would pray for us. All the witch hunters kneeled beside the fire as Blessed Zelenheim stood before them, spreading her hands. She closed her eyes. Beloved goddess, author of life, grant these companions rest this night, to better to serve thee, and avenge thy daughter, the maiden. Then she made a sign of blessing and went to rest. The others laid down on their bedrolls to sleep, except for Federhel and Tormgard, who were on guard duty. 
Like every night since Maria's death, Ludlove had trouble going to sleep, fearing the dreams that would haunt him. He recited rote prayers in his mind until he became weary enough to fall asleep. The last day of that trek through the western wilds passed without event. There was a sense of quiet anticipation, as if the end of their journey was in sight, even though they all knew this was far from the case. Ludlov rode in the middle of the column, next to Federhel, who spent most of his time explaining the history of the western wilds and the Edelhard family, who used to rule over the few villages and hamlets in this desolate and forgotten part of Ivanendale. Ludlov was intrigued by the subject matter, even though Federhel wasn't the most exciting storyteller, so he didn't pick up that much. Behind them, he could hear Alvarado and Gustav cracking jokes and telling tall tales. They were clearly having a better time than Ludlov was. Towards the late afternoon, they began to emerge out of the forest and turned straight north. The wide open skies brought a sense of renewed vigor and they were glad to be out of the woods and into the open air again. Soft white clouds drifted through the azure sky like lazy sheep above a cozy landscape of rolling green hills covered with yellow and white flowers and the occasional copse. Far in the distance, to the northwest, they could see the snow-capped peaks that marked the northern borders of Goldor. The sun was setting again when at last they noticed chimney smoke rising from behind a hill straight ahead. When they crested it, they saw the village of Engebrücke beneath the warm orange light of the sun, snugly tucked in a dell amidst the hills. Between the companions and the village was a swift and narrow stream. A wooden bridge led towards the first houses, which were simple timber constructions with thatched roofs. Deeper into the village, they could see cottages with stables and paddocks where horses stood grazing. More woodlands were visible on the road further north, stretching out as far as they could see. It was as peaceful and lovely a view as any painter could wish to evoke, especially in the current light. As they came down the hill, children and dogs came running over the bridge, greeting them excitedly. Asked a little boy in an oversized cap. Von Baumeister ignored the child, but the priestess smiled reassuringly. Don't be an idiot, Ferdinand, hissed the blonde, freckled girl. The monster hunters from the big city. I can tell by their hats. My dad told me about them. Is that true? Are you monster hunters? The boy called out to the traveling party as the column passed by him. Witch hunters, foolish boy. We're witch hunters, Tomgard said in a loud voice. Ludlov nodded a curt greeting to the children before riding over the bridge into the village. Behind him, he could hear Gustav saying, I'm a treasure hunter. He stifled a groan. Much to Master von Baumeister's disappointment, there was no inn in the village at all. Surely other travellers must pass through here from the old road, he said to an old man in the street. Not for many a year, the geezer replied. Most prefer to go round the western wilds these days. Only smugglers and robbers take these paths. Not that I'm pointing fingers, of course. <laughs> Ludlov recalled how lonely their journey had been. They hadn't come across a single traveller on the old road. Master von Baumeister didn't seem too taken with the old man's comments. In any case, we do need lodgings. There are eight of us. And if the witch hunter order doesn't mean anything to you rubes, surely you will not deny a priestess of the Vox Dei the best you have to offer? Blessed Zelenheim laid a calming hand on the witch hunter's shoulder. We have camped in the wild for days, master. I do not mind doing so again, truly. The old man chuckled. <laughs> that won't be necessary, blessed one. We've had travellers through here before. Try the Zanftimes farmstead over there. They're kind people and they'll be happy to have you for sure. That's better, muttered von Baumeister, 
as the priestess smiled gratefully at the elderling. The farmstead was at the northeastern edge of the village. It was fairly large and looked quite comfortable. They met Farmer Zanftheim and his wife in the vegetable garden as they approached the front door. They looked to be in their mid-forties. The husband was a muscular man with unruly blonde hair and a coarse beard. He greeted them with a wide smile. His dark-haired wife stood beside him and looked at the strangers with fear and awe in her eyes. Rudlov could see older children in their teens, working in the stables, as well as younger ones running around. Master Witch Hunter, sir, said the farmer. Good evening, said von Baumeister. We are on an urgent errand and in need of lodgings. There are eight of us, including a priestess of the Vox Dei. I was told you would be able to help us. Even though the words were polite, there was a quality to the witch hunter master's voice that made it clear he would not take no for an answer. The farmer's mouth fell open in surprise. Oh, um, well, we do have a lodging room, but that will only be enough for two people. Beyond that, I don't know if we have any beds available. He looked to his wife, who seemed even more impressed. We would be happy to provide room, she said hurriedly. The children can sleep with us tonight. Please be welcome to use their rooms. That will do just fine, replied von Baumeister. Can our horses be stabled here as well? We'll do what we can, said the husband. Felix! Uta! Give our visitors' horses a place to rest! Two older teenagers emerged out of the stables. A boy and a girl, both looking tired and grumpy. Should we really accept this offer, Master? Chappelle asked softly. There is a barn over there. We could sleep there just as well. Tuomgard snorted. These people want to pay their respects to our order. I see we grant them the opportunity. Their humility and willingness to serve will be good for their souls. Yes, but taking advantage of their kindness and fear will be bad for ours, muttered Alvarado, causing the master to turn in his saddle. Excuse me, initiate. Do you have an opinion you wish to share with us? The Esclavian swallowed. He had clearly not intended for his comment to be overheard. Well, it just seems to me a bit unnecessary to take these children's beds. We are warriors and seasoned travelers, he uttered with far less confidence in his voice. Ludlow felt a bit sorry for the young man. Von Baumeister simply responded with a drawn-out icy stare. Does anyone else feel the same way? Well, I do for one, said the priestess. Anyone involved in the witch hunter order, I mean, von Baumeister corrected himself. I stand by my position, Chappelle said earnestly. Federhel just looked around uncomfortably. I agree with Alvarado, Rudolf said. Von Baumeister's cold gaze now turned to him. The order's good name will be better served if we show ourselves to be grateful and humble guests, Ludlow added. Turmgard grinned, clearly enjoying where this was going. The order's good name, von Baumeister repeated. Is that what you're concerned about, initiate? Ludlow didn't reply. The witch hunter order is Seven Peaks' elite force in the fight against evil. Necromancers fear us. Vampires cower before us. Demons flee us. We are to be known for that, not for politeness. How will the servants of Lucas respect us if we do not even command the respect of these simple villagers? Everyone was quiet. The farmer and his family were still waiting patiently. You do as you wish, said von Baumeister. If it is humiliation you seek, you will find plenty of opportunity in that barn or out here in the farmyard. Everyone else, come with me. In the end, no one chose to sleep inside the house, except for the master and Turmgard. Even the priestess was adamant about it. As a result, the farmer's children were all able to sleep in their own beds that night, and the lodging room was taken up by two witch hunters. 
the priestess and chapelle retired in the barn, leaving Ludlov, Alvarado, Federhel and Gustav outside in the farmyard. Ludlov didn't mind sleeping in the open air. He had gotten used to it and figured he would have to do a lot more of it throughout his witch hunter career. Besides, out here they could stay on guard for any potential dangers, although it was hard to imagine any in this peaceful place. As they were preparing a fire, Ludlov overheard Gustav saying he didn't care where he slept. I once slept in the branches of a dead tree at the edge of a cliff, with vultures circling above my head and the palace guard of Virkasia out in the wilds looking for me. What is uh, Virkasia? I've never heard of it, said Alvarado. It has believed to be a wealthy nation in the deserts of the southern continent, ruled by a monarch called the Sultan, Federhel explained. I'd always dismissed the tales, though. I thought Verkasia was just a legend. Oh, it's real, Gustav said. I've been there. Unfortunately, I can never return. The important question is, did you sleep well that night? Ludlov asked. Like a baby. Why would you sleep in the branches of a dead tree at the edge of a cliff? Could you really not find a better spot? I could tell you, but it would be a long and exciting tale full of adventure, betrayal and adultery. You probably wouldn't be able to sleep anymore afterwards. The point is, I can sleep anywhere, like my sister always says. You have a sister? Alvarado remarked, as if he couldn't imagine a female version of the pudgy flatlander. What is she like? Smart, pretty, brave. I miss her. Gustav said wistfully. He sounded uncharacteristically sincere. She's still in Flatland, he clarified. How long have you been living in Ivanendale? asked Federhel as he spread out his bedroll. Long enough. I feel like a man of seven peaks now. His accent was still very thick, but he did speak the language well. What about you gentlemen? Gustav asked leaning back against his oversized rucksack. I'm from Furchtecke, a fishing town near the borders of the Entronian Empire, Federhel began. My parents sent me to Seven Peaks because I was useless as a fisherman and always had me nose stuck in a book. They'd imagined the future as a scribe or a librarian for me, I think. <laughs> Gustav was already snoring loudly, lying on his back with his arms and legs spread out and his head lolling to the side as if he had been felled by an arrow in the chest. Even in his sleep, his left hand remained clutched to one of the straps of his backpack. Federhel ignored him. I may be a bad fisherman, but I still enjoy being outdoors and doing things, much as I love to read and write as well. This career seems one of the few where I can combine both, he said with a shrug. It seemed a pretty thin motivation to become a witch hunter to Ludlov. I hail from Misclavia, as you know, Alvarado said. I was an apprentice to the great Ferdinando Cuaron in Marnosa. Ludlov had no idea who that was, but Federhel's raised eyebrows indicated he had to be someone impressive. I was there when he died, Alvarado continued. I tried to defend him against the robbers, but I failed. I had to flee. That's when I decided I wanted to learn how to fight rather than cook. I was already good at that anyway. Gustav underscored the end of the story with another loud snore. I never knew, Federhel said softly. You've never mentioned any of this before. Alvarado shrugged. During training we don't get much of a chance to forge friendships, do we? It's all discipline, all business. That's true. Ludlov said, staring into the flames. In truth, he had liked it that way. And you, Ludlov? Alvarado asked. Ludlov had been dreading the question. Seven Peaks, born and bred, he said with a smile. You're a lot older than us, Alvarado remarked. What did you do before you joined the Order, if I may ask? I was a magistrate, actually, Ludlov said. But I was bad at it. And it's like you said, Fidel. We all need some fresh air and some action. 
Actually, I know something about Ludlow he hasn't told us, said Fadel. Ludlow felt a surge of anxiety. He didn't want to share anything about the tragedy that had set him on his path to the Order. He simply couldn't talk about it with anyone other than Lord Edomir or Lady Hoskiv. Then he noticed the initiate's mysterious smile and realized he couldn't have meant the murder of his wife. Feel free to share it. You've made me curious. You know I'm a bookworm, Federhel began. Ludlow smiled. Now it dawned on him. No, that. It's not a secret. Alvarado raised an eyebrow. Don't tell me you write romance novels. (laughs) (laughs) Not quite, Ludlow said. I've written some theological works, that's all. Yes, and they've caused quite a bit of a stir in some circles, I must say, Federhel added. Why is that? Alvarado asked. Ludlow cleared his throat. He wasn't sure where the other initiates stood and didn't want to be dragged into an argument either. Well, I I hold something of a minority position, was all he could say. Ludlow doesn't believe in the seven sacred stones, Federhel said. He still holds to the pre-Voronitian scriptura sancta. Oh, (laughs) that is nothing special. Almost everyone in Iskravia agrees with him on that. And I think the people of Lioncrest and Goldor do too. Ludlow felt relief washing over him. Well, in Seven Peaks it's different, of course. Where do you stand, Fedel? He ventured to ask. The slender young man shrugged. Well, it's getting late, and if I know Master von Baumeister, he'll expect us to be up and ready to leave when he comes out of that house tomorrow morning. The others agreed, and they prepared to go to sleep. Ludlow found himself thinking about their conversation again. It had been quite a pleasant relief to discover his peer's openness to his views, but more importantly, he realized he had enjoyed talking to them and learning more about them. Perhaps he shouldn't have kept the other initiates at a distance back in Seven Peaks, simply because of the age difference between them. He quietly berated himself for that, before resolving to give his companions the same respect they had shown him. Then at last, his eyes grew tired enough to fall asleep.